0: I wanted to talk today about the impact on monetary and fiscal policy. I'm not going to go over the key reasons for inflation. We covered them, but it's about the disruptions related to the pandemic, whether it's pent-up demand or supply chain disruptions, commodity moves or labor uh, shortages and wage rate increases, which are being talked about. I want to take a look at this is the IMF's projection of uh, growth going out the next uh, five years. And it looks pretty healthy for the global economy, growing from, you know, er, just over $80 trillion last year to hundred over $120 trillion. So over five-year period, so, you know, pretty reasonable 4% kind of growth that they're projecting. And here are the inflation projections. The blue is the world inflation. The gr- uh, gray is the emerging economies, and the orange is the advanced economies. As you can see, the advanced economies have been struggling to get uh, 2% inflation five years out. But the emerging economy inflation coming down is actually an interesting element as well um, because there is a lot of uh, inflation pressures in those economies, and it it does have big impacts on their economic growth. But I wanted to take a look back to the mandates of the leading central banks, and uh, I didn't know when they got started. So as I was researching this, figuring out how long they've been in business and what their mandate is. And as you can see, the Bank of Japan started in the late 1800s, and their focus was on, even then, price stability. The Fed started in 1913 with a dual mandate of price stability and maximum employment. And right now, they're more focused on the maximum employment because of concerns about scarring than they were about price stability. Uh, One, because inflation's been hard to come by, and two, because they believe They can tame inflation easier than they can address deflation. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, Volcker showed us how you can tame inflation. Uh, deflationary spirals are much more difficult and costly for the, for the countries to get out of. The standout though is the Bank of People's Bank of China, who under state, under the, uh, overview of the state council, really focus on formulating the monetary policies and implementing them are really about guarding against financial risks and managing their reserves, which are, you know, three to four trillion dollars now and maintaining financial stability. And as it goes to financial stability, their whole view of monetary policy is really keep a stable currency, protect the value of the currency and therefore promote growth through what they're doing. And they can't have their currency be too expensive if you're in an export mode, but you can't have it be too cheap if you're importing and building a, uh, consumer economy, which they need to get a more balanced economy. So really interesting dynamics of the difference there. And Europe is all about price stability. And a lot of that goes to the German influence from the wine, uh, from the inflation that they experienced, uh, in the early 1900s. So different mandates in, in the sense biased by historical precedent for each country. So let's look at each of these and what their growth and inflation projections are. So Japan, which is the third largest economy in the world, and I do these all in U.S. dollars because it's easier to do the comparisons for me, um, you know, $5 trillion going up to, you know, $6.6 trillion or so in, in a five-year period. Um, Japan really hasn't been growing much. Their inflation has been hard to come by. They're struggling to get 1% inflation. Even after a year over year change like we're having, they're only moving to about 1.25% inflation. China, steady growth. And you can see just under in 26, they'll be under $25 trillion. Um, but you know, not much inflation there either. Although this is all these numbers are reported to the IMF by the government. So. Uh, you have to keep that in mind when you're going through this. Europe also struggling to see 2% inflation, which is their target. Um, and they're looking at uh, gross domestic product growing, but very uneven inside the uh, European Union. And then what are they saying about it? And this is really interesting from the central banks. These are recent comments from them. So it'll take time, but they think it's still possible to achieve their 2% inflation target. They've been working on getting to 2%, I think, since the early 90s. So it will take time. They were right about that. It's still taking time. But they just set their rates at short end at minus one, and the long end at zero. Uh, and they're focusing on inflation of 1%, very below their target. In China, they're really focused on consumption being constrained and investment growth not being what they need. And they really need a transition from the government to consumers and corporations to make their transition and their their dreams of, uh you know, passing the U.S. a reality. Rising inflation, they're concerned about the impact in the advanced economies, rising inflation, what it does to currency depreciation for the emerging economies, and capital outflows. And that's a big issue for them and I think plays into their views on cryptocurrencies, um, which there's been a lot of press about, including a lead article or two in the uh, uh, first, second section of the journal today and the first section of the uh, FT, uh, what they're doing to curb uh, Bitcoin uh, to manage volatility of their currency and also to control capital flows. And then you look at the ECB. And by the way, all this, these three central banks and the Fed have all come out with, uh, and the, uh, Bank of England have all come out with very challenging comments for Bitcoin, uh, in terms of their, their views on it. So I think there's going to be more pressure. If you go to the ECB, inflation has picked up, but they, they think it's transitory as well. I think Lagarde is really good and has a lot of, uh, very good insights into the global economy. She and Janet Yellen are very close and, uh, I'll just remind everyone there was a whole group from MIT um, who studied there and uh whether it was Fisher or uh Bernanke or uh uh Draghi who all came out of uh the MIT school of solving problems with action so when you see the amount of uh uh efforts by monetary policy as well as their demands for fiscal stimulus it's all coming out of the kind of the MIT mindset of, uh, you know, solve problems with action. Don't be passive about it. She views the economy as being on crutches, one fiscal crush, one monetary crutch. That means without that support, they don't think the EU is going to get out of their problem. And I would tend to agree with that. <clears throat> so let's look at the US again. So I said in, in, uh, 2026, China would be under 25 trillion dollars the us is closing in on 27 there the projections are that they would cross around 2030 i'm not sure that china makes the transition although they have a better shot at it than remember back in the late uh, early 90s or late 80s everyone was talking about japan passing the us it's not that easy and they have demographic issues and other issues in china that may make it a little bit harder But again, we're struggling to get meaningful inflation uh, levels. And as I showed last week, this chart of inflation through the decades in the U.S. and for the average from 1913 through through 2020, we're only averaging 3.1 percent inflation. And for the last 20 years, we've been struggling to get above 1.8 percent inflation. So there are real issues in, in terms of getting the right growth going forward. And here's what the market says the inflation expectations are five years out, and you're still only at a 2.5% level. Uh, so not exactly the kind of scare that I think the markets are projecting right now. And then it goes back to how do you grow the digital economy to manage productivity to make countries more productive? And I show these charts a lot, and they're really important to discuss. But the reason that there's a battle between the U.S. and China for digital supremacy is it really gets to how effective your economy can be and how you're going to deal with some of the demographic and social issues that exist underlying the economy. So um, I think the inflation impact is going to be um, more on the monetary side than the fiscal side in the near term. And that's because the projections for these, uh, the Fed, the BOJ and the ECB um it's running hotter than the, than what they were projecting and the fed for example wasn't projected to raise interest rates until 2023 at the earliest <clears throat> i think what this for sequencing what will happen is the fed will announce uh maybe in jackson hole or maybe in the second half of the year their plans to start tapering the 120 billion of quantitative easing they're doing every month down to a lower level and raise rates and not raise rates until they get that managed down and then start looking at rates raising maybe in 2022. I think the ECB got a little ahead of the fed and I think they're probably moving a little too early. I don't think the economy is sustainable right now in the ECB. There's too many different economies going at once. And I think the bank of Japan is one we're going to have to watch because it could be a, a lesson in debt that, uh, you might need a debt jubilee to get out of the problems if your debt to GDP gets too high. And you might have to just do some either forgiveness or more devaluation of the debt. Um, I think most of the central banks believe commodity pressures will subside. And if you look at lumber, it's down about 24 percent in a couple of weeks. Um, so I think you are going to start to see wage pressures subside, particularly as we get past this quarter. Um, you see commodity pressures lower as well. Um I think there is low confidence that consumers will continue to spend once we reopen. And that means you're gonna not have the same stimulus going into the system from consumer spending at the same rates. And remember, inflation rates are year over year, quarter over quarter numbers. So depends on the starting point and Right now we're in the worst starting point you could have with the, uh, April, May numbers, uh, for the U.S. and for most of the developed world. And once you start moving past that on the reopening, you're going to see the year over year numbers come down. I think when it comes to fiscal policy, uh, U.S. and Europe are, uh, I'm sorry, Japan and Europe are still pushing for more fiscal, uh, stimulus. The U.S. Um, because of where we are with the inflation pressures and the view that it is transitory, um, the Biden administration is going to continue to try and push their fiscal uh, agenda forward as much as they can. It will not likely happen until uh, the fall, which means you're 12 months out from midterm elections at that point. And that's going to be their shot to get their program in place. If, uh, if they're going to get it done at the levels they're looking to see it happen. So I think there's not a lot of change right now. If inflation does pick up the way people fear, then you'll see changes in all these areas with a pull forward of when, uh, monetary stimulus is, uh, pulled back, uh, and rates start to move up. And I think on the fiscal side, I don't think they can let the foot off the pedal because the needs are too great right now, but, uh, there is, uh, math that the governments have to follow and particularly in Europe where they're trying to run, uh, uh, countries on a managed, uh, uh, balanced budget approach, uh, or within a 3% window of, uh, uh, deficits. So I think it's going to be very hard to, uh, manage at the same levels that people are hoping for, but, uh, there is a lot of hope in these numbers. So I'll stop there and open it up for questions, Mark. And I've covered a lot in a short time. So hopefully I didn't. Get too far ahead. Good stuff. Questions? Comments?
1: The breathing exercises helped a lot.
0: I think maybe the people, the press is overdone it on or media's overdone it on inflation. We're just warned. I'll have a new topic for next week. Uh-huh. Thank Duncan, you. Hmm? This is about the time for you to
1: object. Oh, I'm not objecting. No. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I I don't know. It's Jonathan the market's the market's having a sneaky it's having a sneaky rotation. You know, I think that some of the tech stuff that was high PEs and all that seems to have stabilized a bit. And frankly, the oil stuff hasn't really rallied back. It made its highs quite a while ago. So the market's starting to sniff a flaw in this inflation story, it looks like to me. I mean, I don't know how long that's going to last, but just observing prices.
0: It's interesting that the yields didn't move up when the inflation pressures moved up materially. They moved up early and fast from 90 basis points to, you know, 160 on the 10-year, uh, but they haven't continued to move up in the recent face uh, of inflation numbers being a little bit higher, which says that the market participants aren't fully on board with it yet, that <laughs> inflation is permanent.
1: And there's been some pretty sloppy use of, um, you know, sort of tracking down. I, I, I saw this report the other day talking about the correlation between the real earnings yield of like the S&P 500 versus the inflation rate. And it was saying the last time that we were at this level was, um you know, like 1978 or some number like that. And, you know, when you had an inflation scare, but it's a little ridiculous because we never had a crash for an economic output, the way co- the COVID thing, and you're comparing 12 months lagging earnings, you know, pretty unprecedented within the PPI and CPI, which are being comped versus last year. And you're saying, okay, I'm going to tell a 10-year story out of that data point. I mean, it's a little lacking in credibility, I think. So. Uh, well, I,
0: I think you bring up a great point. There are a lot of distortions in all the numbers that are being reported um, from everybody, every company. It's, you're not looking at normal numbers for these periods. So you have to actually try and factor in what you think is real versus uh, inflated or deflated numbers because of the pandemic. So I think that's going to create distortions, not only in the economy, but in the stock market. And uh, and I think the issue that you're going to see is that the only thing that really matters right now to investors is the, the quality of the earnings. Uh, multiples don't matter in, a, in this environment as much as the earnings are going to matter for what you're buying.
1: Yeah, we talked about it a little bit last week, but the one thing that just does still trouble me a little bit about the Fed is this business where they're micromanaging, you know, the employment rate for a particular group of people. I mean, I've just never seen anything like this. And if it's true that, you know, the legislation gets sort of stalled, I mean, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, isn't this a pretty unprecedented conversation that we get with the Fed interviews every now and then on what they're trying to do with monetary policy and their new agenda. They've, they've sort of got a, a bigger social agenda than we've seen. And, um, I, I don't know what the ramifications of that are, but that's the one thing on the inflation, uh, issue that I sort of struggle with, I suppose.
0: It, it, does, it is getting a little murky in terms of the roles and responsibilities of the Fed versus, uh, Uh, Congress in, in particularly as around, as it relates to inequality, the Fed's mandate lets them get into that area because of, uh, uh, wage, uh, wages as being part of their mandate, um, employment being part of their mandate, which then gets into the wage area. But it, some of the lines are starting to blur a little bit. And, uh, I think that's part of the political environment we're in as well, uh, and social environment. Quite frankly, they're all, colliding together, which makes policymaking a little bit more challenging. Uh, so I think that's going to be something that we have to keep an eye on, is how far the mandates get pushed, because they are starting to politicize what the role is um, on both sides. The uh, parties would like it to be more politicized, the Fed to be a little <laughs> bit more political in what they're carrying out. And I think it is blurring the mandate. So that is a concern as as we go forward.
2: I have a question, Stephen, on uh, your interpretation. So, and and what Duncan basically said about the Fed speakers, because to me there seemed to have been a shift last week. So, um, you had the release of the minutes, um, and the minutes seemed to indicate that some some people are thinking of thinking, and, and to use Powell's words, of, of doing something. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you had you seem to have a change in discourse of the the public Fed speakers. Um, and now, now there's talk that something comes as early as the Jackson Hole meeting in terms of, uh, direction on, on what may happen with rates. Um, do you, do you see that the same way or, or am I just exaggerating everything that I read?
0: No, I think, I think the, uh, I think there are more people in the Fed who are a little more nervous that things are overheating, um, than there were a couple months ago, which suits the rest of the world, uh, because everyone's a little concerned about the near-term overheating. Um but there were whenever they talk about a few members, it's probably more than a few that are commenting on it. Um but the Fed really runs with three senior people driving everything, uh, and the other people have contributions in the Yellen it in the, when with Yellen it was really Yellen Powell and uh uh the New York Dudley. Um and you know, before that it was Bernanke and Powell and I'm Bernanke, Yellen and uh uh Geitner, I guess, or the New York Fed uh had at the time. So I think it kind of um you have to take and parse out this the importance of each Fed governor when they're speaking. And I also think sometimes the Fed is sending messages out that Powell wouldn't lead with that message, but kind of uh getting a feel for what the economy how the economy would act if or the markets will react. If they leak some of the uh concerns out, kind of a preview of what policy changes might be coming, so I think they're they're aware of of the concerns and need to be uh starting to express them, but I don't think it's necessarily changing their baseline if they really feel that there's a change, I think they would start to preview it in uh in the ju- uh July minutes or uh meeting or in jackson hall um and i think it will be kind of a a preview to the preview of what they'll do um they've already come out and did a sequencing where they said they will reduce the qe before they raise rates um and they have a long way to go at 120 billion a month of qe you could take that down in stages and uh and still take some of the pressure off the system if they did that but even when they announce that that'll be a uh scare to the markets i think um, not as bad as 13, but still that it'll be uh, create some volatility. So I do think they're priming the pump for maybe a change.
1: One of them made a pretty clear statement. You know, they said, look, we're sitting there buying mortgage paper and the housing market is steaming and you can't hire anybody to build and you can't buy any lumber. You know, I mean, they, they, that was a pretty specific statement about a, the sector of the economy that they're directly impacting. Yeah. I can't remember who said that. Do you remember who it was? It was uh... Uh, maybe Clarita, but I'm not sure. It was. Uh,
2: it was. I think it was. That was the best question asked of the of Powell during the last press conference after after the the rate announcements. Um, was you know, why why are you still buying forty billion mortgage paper a month when uh, when you recognize that the housing market is is doing well,
1: beyond well. I mean, maybe it's different areas. Yeah, I, this is anecdotal, but you know, we're trying to wake some wood floors that could use a resurfacing. I cannot get the, I'm able to get the guy to call me back in four months. Can't even get a call back. It's just like, yeah, but I, uh, I,
0: I actually think the, a lot of these are normal pressures and squeezes. And, you know, once you get past the squeezes, then where do you end up? And, you know, our economy is, Running quite well right now, and there are areas that there are just shortages of everything. Uh, but we're pretty adaptive as a as an economy, and I think the supply chains will be back on track a lot faster in a lot of areas than, than the market expectation is right now. Did you talk about the lumber market pullback, or is that yeah? Is and, you know, yeah. Duncan, to to your lumber concern, I think lumber's pulled in about 24% from its high uh, in the last a uh, couple weeks so yep. there are very sharp moves happening um you know all over the place and you I think you'll continue to see that